0: Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Doctor Chuck Quinley. Thread. Welcome back to Thread. It's a leader's podcast for those of us who care about the influence that our life has on others. So, I welcome you to dig in with us. As we approach again the book of Acts, we're wrapping it up. We've already been through all the verses, and now we're going back and we're doing a high-altitude flyover to say these are the big takeaways from our last months and months of study of this really amazing, powerful book. So let's dig in together. All right, as we ended last time, I was on number 12, and now we moved to number Thirteen. There's a bunch of these. I'm going to try to limit today to about 20, 20 minutes, 25 at the most, and I may not get through. So then I'll come back for another wrap-up of the wrap-up. All right, number 13. We're in um I don't even know where. Um, but number 13, when you hit a vein, like you're drilling and you're trying to get the gold, you know, when you, when you dig down and you hit a vein, you need to stop what you're doing. And dig deep, uh, this happened to Paul twice in his ministry, you know some places like thessalon Thessalonica he uh, he really wasn't there very long. I think less than a month he was in and out and gone. but when he hit Ephesus, he realized, wow, this is a city with unusual potential, and he had a receptivity. Rate that was so much higher than what he had seen in other places, and so he just anchored down there for a few years. He didn't move because you know, and he did it again in Corinth. Actually, almost two years he spent in Corinth because of the same thing. He he found it to be a very important uh, crossroads town, and it had people who were really eager. And uh, you know, don't take that for granted when you get. You know, for example, when, when we were living in the Philippines uh, I told you the story I'll just do it real quick. Uh, when we lived in the Philippines, it was 1990. It was just the beginning of the big wave of uh, I don't want to we'll call it even revival it was conversion that swept across that country until 20 uh, you know, percent of the people. Uh, were affected in some way, and probably about ten percent began attending born again churches and It was a movement it was the most exciting thing I have ever been a part of and I was not supposed to be a pastor. I was sent to that city of twelve million people then uh, to be the president of a seminary, and that position was going to be vacated in a year, so we were there to get you know get settled in and get used to the seminary so that when the retiring president went out, I could step in. But in by month seven of being in an environment like that and just having a home-based Bible study that kept growing with people who were hungrier than anyone I've ever met in my life, we realized we were in a very special circumstance. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me one night and He said, build my church and do it now. And we started We planted a church uh, within two weeks. We were up and running, and that church became uh, a pretty big part of what God was doing in our part of the city and sent missionaries out to other countries and planted new churches. And you know, we had, uh, I don't know how many people came to Christ. And then there was a year, and it's almost like the faucet got turned off. And it wasn't just our church, it was across the city. And it's sort of like, you know, there's a time when you've picked the available fruit off the trees, and yes, there's still some fruit, and there's some that matured, you know, late, and you'll still get that. But the big move is kind of moved on now, and uh, then it's time to consolidate your gains and organize it, and you know, disciple everybody thoroughly. And you know, we had so many people at that point that we, you know, we really needed the break from the growth. But my point is, when you hit a growth time don't treat it just like one of your priorities. It doesn't last forever. So when you get the chance for growth, you need to maximize your organization and your energy and how you spend your time, and you need to push for growth. I found myself teaching 13 times a week, and it exhausted me, and I did that for 10 years. But uh, the biggest fruit of my life, if you just want to say numerically, how many lives have we touched? Uh, those ten years comprised the bulk of that harvest. I could not have maintained that schedule, uh, and I found some ways to, you know, to, to balance my load a little bit. But it was still, you know, it was a crushing burden. But I knew the circumstance we were in was very unusual. And then, sure enough, you know, it, it kind of plateaued out and became normal again. So, uh, if you hit a vein, stop, dig deep. Uh, Number 14. Okay, true ministry, as I look at the book of Acts, true ministry, ministry that really changes people's lives, requires a lot of time spent just hanging out. And uh, let's just let that settle in for a minute, because I think there's a modern hope that we can do all this from the pulpit and that we can somehow package it and and um, you know put it in media or have this really super awesome church service and it's more awesome than anything they've ever seen and and I'm not saying people aren't affected by that but I'm talking about when you have a convert that becomes a Timothy that becomes the leader of an entire city all the congregations in an in an entire city you know that's a huge win in your ministry and the kinds of ministry that changes people's lives, and not just producing new leaders, although I think that's the highest goal, uh, not just that, but the change that takes place in anybody's life, it requires a certain amount of hours out of you just being together with them. And so, you know, we can't hide behind the pulpit and try to build a ministry that keeps people away from us. And you know, like gee whiz, try to call a pastor uh, sometimes, especially in America. Try to call a pastor. There is such a grid in your way to keep that from ever happening. And I don't know when that got started. I know why, because uh, I've you know I've been a pastor for many years. But the point is, yeah, you know, you can't uh, you can't stay away from people and think that your only time that you're needed is uh, be the pulpit preacher guy. Yeah, yeah, you get to be the big star, but the real life change happens with time. And so you're going to have to invest yourself with people. And that's what Paul did. Uh, you see it all through uh, the book of Acts. Those who spend their time with people change the lives of those people. Number 15, uh, we're going to have to become skillful and patient at handling conflicts with church bureaucracy. I don't think anything is as aggravating as church bureaucracy, and by that, I just mean the system of organization that that ends up being built inevitably around any church, and in the beginning, it's needed because you know the thing's unwieldy, but after a while, the bureaucracy itself becomes this sort of like sand moat around life and you slug through it. And there are times that uh, a movement leader wants to move and bureaucracy will slow it down. And people in middle management level, a lot of times they learn to uh, exercise their power by saying no. And so it tends to be their, you know, their main go-to answer is no, not yet, let's wait. And uh, we're going to have to become skillful and patient with this. Uh, I think it's such a scandal on Christianity how quickly we split our churches. You know, the first uh, inconvenience, the first time we push up against bureaucracy and it won't move for us, we want to quit and make a new one. And that's led to, you know, just splintered Christianity. It's like a, a family with serial divorces all the way through. And that's, it weakens us as a church. So we need to become patient with this and work with it for a while. There's usually some kind of an accommodation that you can do. You know, Paul could have pulled out of the whole Jerusalem thing, but he worked so hard to stay in it. Although it didn't seem to give much back to him, but he just felt like it was wrong to wound the body of Christ. It was wrong to tear it to pieces. You know, I think we need to be really slow to ever split a group away. And if you ever do, don't even think about planting a church in that area, I just think it's so unethical to be part of a church, pull part of the people out, and make your own little church out of them. And I can tell you something else: if you ever do that, you have planted a bitter seed, and that's what you get to—that's what you get to harvest later, because you're never going to have an end of conflict and strife in a church that starts like that. And uh, so, number 16, and it's related: don't let your pride break up a key relationship with a precious brother or sister in Christ. You know, in Acts 15, verse 36, there's that famous fight between Paul and Barnabas over whether to give Mark a second chance. And Paul is just so adamant, no way, I won't do it. And he stomps out, you know, and later, um, hey, that's a ship docking outside. Uh, Later on in Colossians 4.10, Paul changed his mind about Mark. And he acknowledges that Mark is actually very valuable and that he needs him in the ministry. But you know, we don't hear much about the relationship between Paul and Barnabas. We assume that it got, it got put back together because when Paul mentions him ever in writing, he honors him highly. You know, he never has a tone against Barnabas. You know, it was Barnabas that put Paul in the ministry. And uh, I don't think he ever forgot that. But don't let your pride get in the way. Relationships are so precious. And especially those key relationships. You know, if I have regrets in life, they would center around times when uh, I did allow my pride to get in the way and it, it hurt a relationship. I try not to have broken relationships as much as lies with me. But there are times that I was closer to a person before a certain discussion than I ever have been after it, and I regret those times. So I wish I could go back. And this this book you know, reminds us of that. Uh, those relationships are so precious, and we need to be super super careful with them. All right, number seventeen, chapter sixteen. Don't ignore your strange, vivid dreams. Uh, I'm talking about real dreams, not the way the word dream is used today for imagine. I mean, when you're asleep and you get a dream and it's vivid and it's strange and it startles you and it wakes you up, man, I'd write those things down. Now, the, the ones that I really trust are ones I don't forget after that. I've, I've had a handful of dreams in my life that uh, a few of them have actually guided my decision after the dream. Now, I never had a dream where an angel is talking to me and I hear God say, go to whatever. I haven't had that. Others have. Paul certainly had it. Joseph had it in the New Testament. But um, I have had dreams that were strange, and I know that God often speaks to us through our dreams. In Acts chapter 16, the entire history of Christianity being European, it came out of a dream. Paul had a dream to go to northern Greece, and he followed his dream. He woke the others up You know, said, Hey, guys, Uh, I had a dream. I know what to do now. Because they were stuck at a crossroads. They didn't know whether to go toward East Asia or whether to go west and go toward Europe. And he felt this dream was telling him to go to Europe. So don't ignore those dreams. God uses our dreams. Number 18, we need to minister to whole families. There are so many examples in the book of Acts, chapter 16 I think of, where Paul's in jail He's been beaten with Silas. They're singing, you know, there's the earthquake. They get set free. The jailer says, you know, what do I have to do to be saved? Paul prays for him, but he doesn't stop there. He brings the whole man's family in. He ministers to the whole family. When he was ministering to Timothy, he he stayed in the home of Timothy. He ministered with Timothy's mother. He knows Timothy's grandmother. Timothy's father's a Greek And, you know, Paul is familiar with the whole family. Uh, I think of Peter ministering to Cornelius, but not just Cornelius, and his wife, and his children, and his neighbors, and his relatives, you know, minister to whole families. If you have a relationship with one family member, this is the whole thing about ministries that are willing to invest time to lead people to Christ. Then you don't just lead one person, you lead everybody, so, you know, to follow the new convert and say, can, can we, you know, how do we get your family uh, involved in knowing about Christ? What can I do to help? And we, we just learn to, you know, use any opportunity not to... Minute. For example, if you go to the hospital to visit somebody and there's other people in the room that are related, understand that you have a chance to minister to everyone that's in that room, not just to the person in the bed. So, give them some time and focus on them. That's so powerful when a whole family comes to Christ. Lesson number 19 we need to multiply ministers everywhere we can. Uh, In chapter 20 of the book of Acts, verse 17, Paul appointed leaders, he laid hands on them. We see the Ephesian, Ephesian elders. And this was Paul's pattern in city after city, was to multiply leaders everywhere that he could and to raise others up and not be the solo leader. He never wanted that. He wanted to see other people uh, also stepping up and multiplying ministry that way. Okay, lesson number 20. This lesson is that we need trained apologists among us An apologist is a person who is skillful at explaining the reasons like our doctrine and they're good at debate, not in the sense of just petty arguments, but like reasoned, reasonable discussions with people who are opposed to us. Uh, I think um, um, we've had these leaders like in in our generation now, Ravi Zacharias, and I'm glad he didn't Keep it to himself but you know he started that program to train others to do what he does you know to be able to go to the the big thought centers of the world and to stand before the opponents of christianity and to not be afraid of them you know, i i noticed what paul does on mars hill that he was you know gee whiz the audacity and the confidence to go to mars hill when everyone there is going to be uh, either ignorant of your position or opposed to your position, and yet to believe that you have what it takes to stand toe-to-toe, not just as a human, that the Holy Spirit is with you, but there is a certain amount of intellectual preparation that you have to have done before you step into those situations. You know, you don't just go up there blind and and not get blown out of a, a major college campus because they come ready for war and I, you know i love when you know when dawkins and the others were trying to raise uh, atheism to a new level of respectability and i'm just so grateful for the christians in europe that were used by god to you know have debates with them and and one brother even went on a tour for, across cities in in europe having open forum debates with him and uh, you know a friendship was even established of sorts between them Uh, You know, to be able to do that, it's very skillful, and everybody can't do it, but God help us to always have those places that train up the next generation of apologists for us. Um, Number 21, we need to share the spotlight and give other fellow ministers opportunities to advance. You know, it's one thing to say that we need to multiply ministers. It's another thing when it's your turn and you have the chance to stand in the spotlight and you turn it over to someone else. And that was something that I think Paul is always very quick to do. You know, he treats Apollos when he writes about him uh, as an equal. You know, he avoids that feeling that, you know, he's the only true man of God. Uh, you got Aquila and Priscilla, you have others that Paul, you know, he honors their ministry and he wants to give them space to minister as God has blessed them. Okay, number 22. Man, those roosters are going nuts, but I can't do a thing about it. Number 22, honor the work of women. Um, You know, Paul gets beat up so much in modern circles uh, because of some of his comments, mainly in Corinthians, about church problem he was dealing with. But I think if you step back and you look at the the time that Paul lived and the uh, the mindset that was there, especially if you stay in his own culture and go the mindset among Jewish men in that in that day, I think he elevates women to a position so much higher than they have ever been before. And he, he mentions in many different occasions, uh Book of Romans and other places uh, he mentions women that he honors. And I think of, uh, again, Priscilla, and the book of Acts begins by talking about Aquila, the man, and Priscilla. And then by the end of the discussion, it's talking about Priscilla and Aquila, uh, because she had certain giftedness to, to that was a public gift, whether she was a speaker or she had a presence, and they acknowledged that. And, you know, they mention her first. And I think Paul honors that, and the Book of Acts certainly honors it. You've got Dorcas and others that are lifted up as examples of ministry. The daughters of um, of Philip who prophesied, and uh, you know God has always used women in a powerful way. Whether they had official titles or not, it didn't limit the Holy Spirit, and they were they have always been so instrumental in the work of God on the earth and in the book of Acts you see that and in the writings of Paul himself especially you see it I think even more so um, we need to honor the work that is done by women number 23 uh, in chapter 19 if you find yourself in a crazed mob you need to get away from that physical location as soon as possible and I have actually been in situations like this and uh, you you find yourself in a in an environment that was normal, and all of a sudden something new, some new dynamic comes into it, and it's like this mob mentality gets in the air. And some people, you know, they want to try to control the mob and and let, let's speak to the people. And the lesson I get from the Book of Acts is that that's a really bad idea. That when you end up with a mob situation you're going to lose if you don't physically get your feet moving and just get away from there. Get one block away. Get two blocks away. So if you find yourself in a troubled situation, don't go to it to see. oh, let's go see what the fight is about. Go the other way. Get away from it, Uh, especially if you're dealing with religious persecution and you're in an area where that, you know, your group is not popular. And I live in a part of the world that that has thousands and thousands of Christians killed every year. And if you're ever in a place of disturbance, you just need to get out of that place as fast as you can. Sometimes all you had to do was get outside the door of the hotel as the police come in. And they don't start sweeping the streets. They've are you know they done a circle, they're moving, they're trying to get to that third floor where the meeting is. Just get away, get fast away. So who knows, maybe that'll come in handy for you one day. And my final lesson for the night... Uh, Number 24, sometimes you have to lose now, and you might even have to lose for a while in order to win later and achieve God's goals for your life's service to Him. In Acts chapter 21, Paul gets arrested, but he gets to witness to Israel's leaders. He gets to witness to kings and governors. He ultimately gets to witness to Caesar and... um, he was able to light the gospel fires in Rome that ultimately spread to the whole world, but all that was at a cost of about five years in prison for him, and it did not look good for him. He couldn't tell through that entire situation. He could, he knew that justice was not coming to him and that only the hand of God was going to see him set free, but Paul was willing to lose and lose for a while in order to win the higher calling that God has for his life. And I don't know if modern Christianity is willing to lose. You know, we're so much about winners and teaching people to be winners and come to Jesus and he'll make you a better winner. And I think we need a theology of losing. That's what persecution is. That's what discipleship requires sometimes is that we lose. Not my will, but yours be done was the prayer that Christ prayed just before he lost on the cross which became actually his ultimate victory for all of us. So some great lessons that we get from the book of Acts and more lessons coming up. We've got 10 more lessons in our next uh, wrap-up meeting, so I'll be back later with one final wrap-up on this podcast of the book of Acts. And I'd like to also uh, ask you, if you'll send me your ideas of uh, any anything that you'd like us to cover in the Thread podcast, we'll be happy to do that. That's all for now. God bless you and expect Him to use you. I'll see you next time on Thread.